Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. So welcome to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers Podcast. Well, with your host, Ugo Che, and this time I'm joined once again by my co-host, uh, Ralph Velasco, who, if I understand well, just returned from a trip from uh, from Cuba. Hi, Ralph. How are you? Hi there. I'm really well. Good to be back. Yes, I just did get back from Cuba the other day. How was it? Really great. Uh, you know, I wasn't quite sure what to expect with all of the changes uh, we've all been hearing about down there, but I was pleasantly surprised that uh, things are good in Cuba. Very happy about that. Great. So our guest today didn't start as a, as a photographer. He started out as a computer scientist, if I'm right, studying in artificial intelligence and image processing uh, Uh, emigrating from France to uh, UC Berkeley. And there he uh, he was also into mountaineering, and there he went to Yosemite and uh, for, for climbing, essentially. And there he discovered the beauty of the U.S. national parks and started picking up photography and photography in the national parks. So he's now become a, kind of an expert and authority on the U.S. national park, And his name is uh, QT Luong. I hope I have pronounced your name correctly, QT. How are you? Yes, that's good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's, uh, it's our pleasure and I'm uh, really excited to have you here. I've been following your work for quite some years. You are um, a well-renowned uh, landscape and nature photographer. And you recently published uh, a book uh, called uh, Treasured Lands which is all about the 59 U.S. national parks. So uh, tell us a bit about your, your beginnings. Uh, I just uh, hinted at it. How did you get started in photography? And um, what, what, what's about your book? What is Treasured Lands? How did you come up with the idea of doing such a kind of book? Well, I started in photography when I started mountaineering. Um, my goal was really to to try to bring back to the folks who were at home um, the beauty of the nation, um, not of the national park, sorry, the beauty of the, of the mountains that was, in this case, the peaks of the, of the high Alps to folks who couldn't get up there and, and see it. Um, so the, the national parks project it started when I, when I came to the U.S. And as you mentioned, I just... Uh, I just fell in love with, uh, with the U.S. National Parks. It was going to be a short stay initially. I was going to, to come to the U.S. for three years and come back. Um, but I, I started to visit the park and uh, I just extended my stay to, in order to, to visit them all. So early on, I realized that uh, um, each park um, was a special But it was really the sum of all that made it something because there was such a diversity at the scale of a continent. So I, I, I undertook the project to, to try to, uh, to visit them all just because I wanted to see them all. And at the same time, I started large format photography 
from uh, sweet something that started when I when I came to the US when I discovered um, the tradition of American landscape photography, and uh, I I saw that to to do justice to um, to the parks, I needed to photograph them with a large format camera. And so that's the, the combination of uh, discovering um, this new type of photography and discovering the, the parks that prompted me to, to embark on the project to visit them all. And not, not just visit them all, but actually create a book from your best photographs of them. Right. Um, yes, but I would say that initially for the, for the first um, I would say 10 years of the project or so, I didn't really have a book in, in mind. You know, at, at that time, I was, not, uh, I was not even a full-time photographer. I was still working as a, as a computer scientist, as you mentioned. And I was just doing that out of, out of love for the parks. So the, the idea to, to, to make a book, it, it only came later. Mm. Uh, when did you start visiting the, the parks? What year was that? It was in 1993. 1993. So it's been like wow. It's uh, been 20, 20, 20, 24 years. 20, yeah, 24 mm. years. And and actually, the the first uh, the first picture which is in the book actually dates from 1993 from my from my first visit to the Nali National Park. So mm -hmm. that 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 was one of the visits actually which uh, which was instrumental in in uh, in prompting me to do that project. Right. Cutie, uh, having visited all 59 national parks, which I didn't even realize there were that many in my own country, um, I'm sure you get asked this question quite a bit, but uh, do you have some favorites and, and why? Well, you know, if if it's based only on, on the merits alone, it would be really difficult to choose because, as I mentioned, each of them is different and unique in its own way. But I'd say for for sentimental reason, it's easy for me to give an answer. It it has to be Yosemite because that was um, really the first park that I visited, and that was really the park that brought me to California. So, you know, when I was living in Europe, I didn't know much about the geography of the U.S., but at that time, I was uh, I was a mountaineer, and some of my friends told me, oh, you know, if, if you go to the U.S., you know, maybe you should try to check this place, Yosemite, they have really some good rocks to climb. And uh, so, so, of all the research universities in the U.S., I chose Berkeley because that was the closest to Yosemite. And so that's a park that I visited more than any other. It's, a, it's kind of my home park in some sense. So interesting, you chose Berkeley because it was close to Yosemite and not Yosemite because it was close to Berkeley. That's, <laughs> that says something yeah. about your priorities, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, yeah, fine. And um, you not only visited all the 59 parks, but looking at your photographs, it appears that you visited at least some of them at different times of the year. You have photographs from from winter, summer, and the spring of the same park. So uh, did you keep a record of how many trips to the national parks you took in total? Uh, yes, I did actually, except for Yosemite, because I think I, I, think I, 
I've, I visited the park, I don't know, 100 more hundreds of times. So, I, so this, this is difficult. But for, for, the, for, for the other visits without Yosemite, it's, uh, it's more than 300. Wow. And so, uh, so on, uh, it means that on average, I visited each park uh, about um, um, uh, five times. Yeah, do you think it, uh, I mean, I, I think it, it's essential to, to get to really know your subject, especially that kind of subject, if you want to, to actually describe it photographically in uh, exhaustive terms, you cannot just do a, a weekend trip to a park and then uh, think you have You've got it photographically speaking, so I think it's important. You have uh, lots of dedication to that, and, and, and it shows in your photographs. Well, well, you know, you know, when you when you visit places or national parks or others, there's, there's two possible approaches. Either you can just come there and stay there for for a long time, like uh, two weeks, you know, something like that, and and uh, and get to know the place. Or you, you 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 can do shorter visits and do multiple visits. And uh, I've done a combination of both. But often I I like to do the shorter visits because if I return several times, then I will see the park in different conditions, different seasons. And for me, it is more interesting than staying there for let's say a month in just in, in a single season. Uh, QT, you. You know, in reading your biography and, and searching your website a little bit, I found out that uh, you had some experience working with one of my favorite documentarians of all time, Ken Burns. Can you tell us about that experience and how you were part of, uh, wasn't it uh, the National Parks? Was that the name of the actual documentary? Yes, that was, I think it's, uh, it's, it's often referred to with its subtitles, uh, The National Parks, America's Best Idea. Um, so, the, so, so the, that, that, that movie, it's, um, it's Ken Burns' a tribute to the National Parks. Ken Burns is an historian, so the, the movie is not about uh, the National Park natural history or scenery, but about the history of the National Park, how, how they came to be, the individuals that, uh, that helped create them. Um, but still, because it is a national park, there is a scenic component. So, so they went into, into many of the parks and filmed them. Um, that's one of the one, one of the draws of the of the movie, the cinematography. And in, um, so, when they were in the process of uh, of researching locations to film, they they just happened on my. On my website, Terra Galeria, and um, and then um, um, Dayton contacted me, uh, and from there we, we we had a conversation. Then they they saw that my my story in itself, which was that of a, of an immigrant who, who came to the U.S. and uh, who, who fell in love with the parks, was uh, was transformed by the parks. Um, was interesting in itself, uh, and so they invited me to to be part of the movie, to to come with them on some trips, and to um, uh, to be interviewed. So I find it interesting that you, as an immigrant, especially in the current political climate, 
uh, are the one that is actually doing so much to document and preserve some of America's most uh, beautiful places. <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about politics, and I wouldn't want to. Well, yeah. well, you have to remember that actually the, 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 the man who is possibly the father of uh, of the U.S. national parks is John Muir. He's from Scotland. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Your country was made by immigrants in the end, so <laughs> that's great. So I understand maybe you want to, uh, that might be a sensible topic for you, but uh, there is some controversy right now in the U.S. Uh, with the new administration about the preservation of nature uh, and the environment. And there are threats that are looming over the environment. Uh, what do you think are the major threats that the national parks in particular have to face now and will have to face in the coming years? Well, a, a perennial issue with the national parks, uh, which didn't start with, uh, with the new administration, is um, the lack of funding. So the, the national park system has been expanding. It's been uh, it's been gaining in more popularity, but still there's there's a big backlog, you know, in terms of uh, infrastructure. And so um, uh, I would say that uh, the the first threat that uh, that the park uh, face, I think, is maybe maybe they will suffer some budgetary cuts, whereas they. The need actually to have an increase in budget, but this beyond that, I would say this there's some more uh, unique threats which uh, which were not present before. So um, this there's a lot of talk about trying to transfer public lands to the private sector. There's um, uh, there's a lot of talk about um, um, expanding resource development. So this means uh, extraction. So um, uh, All drilling, you know, so you would think that uh, it would be a ridiculous idea to, to, to drill into, uh, let's say, Mesa Verde National Park, but uh, it's not that outlandish. The problem is that um, the mineral rights underground, they are distinct from the surface ownership, and there's some folks who own them. And so now there's some talks about giving them access so that they can uh, indeed exploit them. There's logging, and then, generally speaking, there's uh, the weakening of environmental protections, which are which are bad for for everybody, not just for the park, but particularly for the park. Yeah, scary stuff. Indeed. I have a question about. Uh, yeah, I've I've visited some of our parks. I don't know, maybe ten or fifteen of them. And uh, seven or eight of them on a, an individual trip that I took when I moved from Chicago out to California. And uh, this was in late October, early November. And uh, let's say I went to 10 parks and uh, my friend and I, who I was with, who's also a photographer, we had probably seven of them completely to ourselves. And these are the, you know, the postcard shots of like Mesa Arch and, things like that. Uh, do you have any tips for, uh, you know, we, we see these pictures of some of these places with 30 or 40 photographers with their tripods out there, you know, early in the morning or at the right time of day. Uh, do you have some, some basic tips for people to get out there and, you know, maybe have the place to themselves? Yes, it's, it's I would say, um, you, you know, the, 
the, the crowding, it, it happens at very specific spots and at very specific times. And so if you, if you, if you, do, if you don't come to those particular times and um, those particular spots, I think it's fairly easy to have the place to yourself. So, so speaking of time, so, so one of the things you can do is to, to visit the park off season. So, um, so even if you go to a park like Glacier, which is one of the most popular parks, you, you come in September. September is, you know, the time when the park begins to wind down. They are, they are getting ready for the winter. And it's, it's a delightful time. The weather is very dynamic. You have the, you have the, the fall colors. It's, it's very beautiful time to, to be there. And at that time, you know, the, the campground, they are, they are half empty. There's, there's very few folks, even, even at the, uh, the overlooks. It's, it's very quiet time. And one time I went to, to Yellowstone in the winter. You know, it's almost like a, like a, a different park. And um, after after dinner, I stroll out to see um, all faithful. So the the temperature were in the in the single digits, but uh, but there was nobody there. And you know that's maybe the, the most crowded spot in the whole national park system. At the place for myself, and uh, so this brings me to a second tip: is that you know, if if it's too crowded at uh, at day, you can come at night. And uh, so Yellowstone was very cold, but if you if you visit in the summer, a, a place like Archie's National Park is really delightful to visit at night, and it's the night gives you more possibilities for photography too. There's a sense of mystery. You, you can bring your own lights and, and create scenes that you, you wouldn't see at, um, at day. Um, so, so, so I'd say this time of the time of the year, time of the day. Yeah, I was in. Uh, yeah, I was saying. I wanted to say I was in Arches uh, in March. And I stayed there after sunset into the night, and I was uh, scared at how alone I was in all that in all that wilderness. I mean, that's that's one of probably one of the most popular parks, and it's really crowded during the summer and during the day. At night, it was empty, and I was afraid I would uh, uh, a mountain lion would jump on me and and eat me, and nobody would find my remains for years. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, in, in some sense, for me, visiting the parks at night, it somehow renews the sense of wonder that you, that you had when you first visited, and which is gone because you've been there several times, or, or because it's too crowded. And, and the fact that that you're out there and, and what you can see is, uh, I would say is more dim. I think it, it gives a more, it gives some, some mystery to the place too. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's something that everybody should try to experience. And, you know, if indeed it is a bit scary to be there by yourself at night, if you know, you're not used, you, 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 you can come with a friend and then it's, uh, it's much, it's much easier. Yeah. So I would like to talk a little bit about uh, your uh, photography, your photography technique in particular. And uh, 
Uh, your photos of the national parks are not only stunning, but they're also unique, or at least uh, uh, rare in the way that they were made uh, in the era of digital and when everybody is uh, moving to smaller cameras, mirrorless cameras, because they are smaller and easier to carry around and so on. You decided to shoot most of the photos in the book on film, and especially with a view camera. So uh, I would like you to, f first of all, to explain to uh, those of our audience that don't know exactly what a view camera is, what it is. And then uh, if it's um, the, the choice to use a view camera was just a matter of image quality or there was uh, maybe a romantic element at play in, uh, in that, I mean, uh, like uh, Ansel Adams uh, used the view camera, view camera back in the day. So there's that romantic image of the landscape photographer lugging that uh, big box on his shoulders to, to go to a place and spend a lot of time uh, uh, taking photos of, of the landscape. Um, okay, so the, the view camera is um, a film camera that, uh, that looks like a, like a box with billows. So that's, uh, that's the type of camera which was used in um, um, the 19th century and the, the early 20th century before the invention of uh, smaller cameras. So that was uh, the camera of people like uh, Ansel Adams or Elliot Porter, so all the, the masters of uh, landscape photography. And uh, it's called that way because you, you don't have a viewing device. You just see the image through um, a, a, a piece of glass, which is at the back of the camera, which is at the position where, where the film is inserted. So whenever you um, um, want to take the picture, the, the view is blocked by the film. And uh, so it means that you have to, to use the camera on a, on a tripod so that uh, you can uh, um, compose the image before... Um, inserting the film and making the exposure. So that's why it's called the, the view camera. So the, in, in the days of film, the, the, the image quality afforded by the view camera, it was one order of magnitude above that what you could obtain with film. And the, the reason is just very simple. It's just surface area. So uh, the format that I use is five by seven. So it means that it's a, it's a piece of film which is five by seven inch. And uh, by comparison with 35 millimeter film, the surface area is 25 times larger. So that's a, that's a considerable amount of difference. So what appealed to me at the time when I, when I took up large format photography was the image quality, so that was that was the reason, and it's uh, it's such a, it's such a big difference with uh, smaller cameras in terms of film. So um, <clears throat> now things have um, things have changed a bit uh, with digital in the sense that uh, with um, um, with small digital cameras now you you can get very high quality. And when you look at, uh, at uh, larger uh, digital cameras, the medium format cameras, the difference in size of the sensor between, uh, between say, full frame and medium format isn't that large. I mean, it's, 
it's it's twice as large. It's not 25 times larger, so this this not much to be gained there in some sense. Um, but the reason why I I sometimes continue to use the large format camera and say it's uh, to maintain continuity of the project. Okay, I I started it in large format, so I, and I I want to to continue if there's some new parks to to photograph them using the same medium. So for me, the, the attraction of the medium is the fact that you know you it is a physical medium. You 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 you, you get a physical piece of film which uh, which pins there, and then the the way of working is very slow, very deliberate. It puts you in in a certain state of mind where you you may be more perceptive. And then, as you mentioned, there's, there's a connection to the history of photography, to, to, to the tradition, to, to all those great photographers. But, uh, but it doesn't mean that now I, I photograph primarily in large format and I, I use also digital. Yeah, I, it's funny. I, I don't know much about that format of photography, so I really appreciate your explaining that. That was wonderful. What do you do uh, when going from the exposure to the final print? Are you doing your own developing and printing? No, I, I don't. Because you, the, if you work in black and white, that's something that you would do because at the stage of developing, you have a fair amount of control over the, the developing process. But in in color, there isn't much latitude, you know, before things they get out of whack, and and also you you need to 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 have very precise temperature control. I mean, up to, to the to the tenth of a degree or something. And so so usually, I, I, uh, color photographers they just send their film to a lab, which is what I did. But after that, um, I in color photography. Uh, Maybe um, starting maybe 10 years, 15 years ago, people have begun to use a, a hybrid approach, which means that you you get the, the film scan, and then after that you you work on the digital scan. And the the reason for that is that um, again in in black and white you have a lot of controls in the dark room, which are which are fairly handy, but in in color it's very difficult to have very fine control um, uh, at the stage of printing uh, with, uh, with a dark room. Whereas when you work on digital, actually you can, you can fine tune the image much more precisely. So doing that, you can have the kind of the best of both worlds. Uh, are you shooting uh, color negative or positive slide film? I shoot positive slide. Um, it's just uh, it's just because uh, the transparency is just so beautiful to see. You know, if you, when when you look it on 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 a light table, you know, by by transparency, uh, it has such a luminosity and such a sharpness. It's really incredible to see. So that's that's the main reason. And and the other thing is that when when you shoot with transparency, you 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 can really evaluate what you what you get directly because you see it. Whereas in um, with negative film, you know, then you have to you have to make a print. So this there's a bit of a mediation already there. Um, but uh, 
print, print film is, is much more forgiving for sure. Yeah. Tell us a bit about the commercialization of the book. Uh, you, you said you started out as a, your own personal project, uh, but that at some point uh, you decided it might uh, sell as a book. So how, how did the process go? Was it hard to find a publisher? Well, so I would say I, 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 maybe, I maybe envisioned the, the idea of the book uh, um, uh, maybe 10 years into the project or something. I, I saw that I, that I had something a bit different. So initially, as I mentioned to you, I, I didn't think about making a book. You know, there were, there were photographers like uh, David Munch. You know, I, I, I didn't think that my, my work could even compare to them. Um, but after I began to, to look at their books and, uh, and I noticed that most of them, they, they depicted the nature parks with just, uh, each park with just uh, one, maybe two, maybe three images. And uh, I felt that this, this didn't really do justice, I'd say, to the, to the diversity of each park. So I wanted to, to do a, a book with, uh, with more images of each park to, to give a more complete picture of what park was that. And uh, at the same time, also, you know, um, I saw that the, the books that, that they had, like, like all the coffee table books, you, you just see the image. There's sometimes time a caption, but it's not a very, it's not very precise. You, it leaves you wondering where is this location, and if you, if you're a reader and particular a photographer like me, you, you you look at the image and you, you you think oh that's that's really great I'd I'd like to get there, but then uh, the book doesn't provide you that information, and then from time to time it. it it takes a lot of, of research to, to figure it out. So the, the parks, they, they, they really provided me a, a lot of joy. And so that's the experience of visiting, of photographing. And I wanted the, the readers to, to, to be able to, to experience the same joy and happiness that I did. And in order to do that, I thought it would be a good idea to, to, to try to um, provide the location information for each image. So each, each image in the book. So that was, um, uh, let's say, my, my impetus for, for creating a book. So doing, doing something different from what existed. So a more, a more comprehensive book and a book with location information. Um, so about the, the commercialization, um, because of that, of that goal, it was it was difficult because um, it meant that this would be um, a very large book. So, so you know, I it's it wouldn't have been difficult for me to to find a publisher if I wanted just to to get out something like a conventional book about National Park with maybe two hundred and two hundred fifty pages um, uh, in. Indeed, I think about uh, almost a decade ago, this this one publisher who approached me actually to to do such a book, and um, I declined because uh, because they wanted they, they they didn't want to do the the big book. They they wanted to do a, 
a 200-page book, and that was my vision for the book. And after that, I I tried to to find a publisher of my own, and this was this was difficult because uh, the project was uh, was very ambitious. So there was not only the size of the book, but also this concept of having a combination of um, coffee table book and a kind of guidebook. Also, this was new in the industry, and so the book publishing industry is a is a very conservative industry. So this was. Uh, this was um, seen as uh, too risky. Yes, yeah, so 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 eventually I was I was able t- to find a, a, a publisher, but that that was what not one of the main book publishers, just a, a very small boutique house. So that was going I was going to work with them, but uh, this this there's some drawbacks of of working with a uh, with a small publisher. They they don't have a lot of resources, but they were. They were at least accommodating of my goals. So you said you provide location information for most of the, the shots in your book. Allow me to, to play the devil's advocate here a bit. And uh, uh, don't you think that providing precise location information might somehow endanger some of those spots that could become really popular and easy to reach? I'm, I'm thinking of uh, you have a couple of shots of the racetrack playa in the uh, Death Valley, uh, which was virtually unheard of until a few years ago. And now there have been episodes where people have uh, gone there with trucks and run over the, run over the playa with the, with the trucks and left the tracks that will stay there for, for years. Uh, what, what's, your, uh, what's your take on that? Um, yeah, but the racetrack playa, I'd say it is... It is very unfortunate what happened, but uh, but the thing that I would like to be to believe is that uh, the people who are who are going to buy and read my books uh, are not the people who are going to 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 to, to commit that damage. And one of the thing is, at least you know, if they learn about the about the racetrack in my book, then while they are reading the description, they will also read my warning. About not venturing in on the playa while it's wet, because uh, I, I explained that if you do so, this will this will leave footprints and that will mar the place for years to come. So at least um, each uh, each time when I when when I describe, let's say, um, a site or a park uh, which uh, which has some some areas which are fragile, I I do warn people you know, about. Uh, uh, about uh, um, um, the precautions that, yeah. that they have to to take with um, with the place, but generally speaking, the, um, the, I would say the the problem in in the national park is it's not really the it's not really the the fact that there's uh, um, too many people. I think it's more like this: there's too many people. To wanting to visit the, the same small areas at the same time, and it brings us back to something that um, that we talked about. Uh, so this this is about only about 30 national parks that you 
that you hear uh, about, which are in most of the the other books, so they they don't cover all the parks. They cover only the, the most popular, and so everybody wants to go to those national parks. and And I believe that by by featuring all the parks, by giving by giving them equal coverage, you know, I can uh, I can maybe inspire people to to, to go to, to 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 lesser visited parks and to spread a bit the visitation and. And the same for for each park, you know, each uh, the fact that there's some some locations which are which are lesser known, which are described. I think it can help maybe uh, spread out the visitation. So, for instance, Yosemite Valley, it's less than five percent of the surface of Yosemite National Park, but it has about ninety-five percent of the visitation of the park. So. So, so in the book, I've I've spread about uh, about the high country. I describe locations there, and so so I my 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 hope is that uh, you know it it will spread out a bit uh, the visitation and then uh, reduce maybe some inspire people to go somewhere else and find less crowds too. Uh, you know, in a series of articles on your blog, you detail your strategy for making your photography business profitable. And if I understand correctly, for the most part, your strategy relies on selling prints and licenses from your website. I would think that this strategy is contingent on having a, a huge number of visitors to your site, since I would have to think only a small percentage of visitors actually end up buying something um this was in 2011 however um is this an effective strategy still six years later uh, about describing the strategy yeah you're you're absolutely correct you you i i back back in the in the heydays of the website you know i'd had um, between a half a million and a million visits per month and so, so only a very small percentage of people bought anything like that, like you mentioned. But, but the traffic was so high that it was possible for me to, uh, to sell prints and licenses. So, so since since then, uh, um, it's been more difficult. Indeed, my my traffic has uh, has declined uh, quite a bit. And uh, so, one of the reasons, of course, is there's more there's more supply of photography. There's more websites, this is division effect. And then um, now a lot of the action is on uh, on social media. And I, I was not uh, an early social media ad- adopter. So this, so that's, um, that's a struggle. So, the, so, so indeed, uh, the, the strategy is, uh, is much less effective than, than it used to be. Uh, uh, so now that one that's one of the reasons now that that I I really tried to to to, to get the, the book out as possible as as soon as possible because also it's uh, it's still very challenging to to, to sell books especially uh, especially in a, an expensive book like that but it's still um, a more sensible purchase than a print right you. You, you really get your your money's worth. So I'm um, so I'm trying I'm trying to uh, I'd say to transition a bit really, to to selling more more products as uh, as opposed to uh, to uh, I'd say um, art objects like like prints. Great. 
and uh, we are almost at the end of the time we have uh, allotted for this interview but uh, we'd just like to ask one more question and it is uh, now that you have visited and photographed and published photos of all the 59 US national parks what's next on your uh, on your horizon or your on your roadmap are you going to to photograph the national parks of i don't know Canada or Europe or are you going to do something completely different do you have any plans well first with with national parks believe it or not i'm i'm just getting started in some sense because i'd say the, the, the more you 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 know something the more so i'd say the more you know what you don't know, right? And uh, and I, I I find that there's there's many more areas in the park that I that I still want to ex- to explore, and there's still some some new angles that that, that I want to take in photographing the parks too. Um, so, uh, with, with the exception of uh, of some specific um, landscape like maybe polar, you know, I feel that the the U.S. National Park, they have such a representative section of of everything that one would like to photograph in nature that I'm, I didn't feel that I was missing really out when I was working on that project. But still, I'd like to I'd like to to travel uh, to travel a bit more. I think I will probably wait until my 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 children grow up a bit so that uh, I will have more time. So I was thinking initially about trying to, to, to photograph the, uh, the UNESCO World Heritage Site. There's a, there's a thousand of them, but so that would be a project for, for later. Um, and for, for, for now, no, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to continue to, to revisit the park. Maybe, maybe indeed, like you mentioned, um, do those in Canada, which are, which are not too far and uh, get get restarted with uh, with international travel yeah very interesting you made me want to visit a, a bit more of the u.s parks while you were talking i was uh, just mentally counting how many i visited and i think my record sits at eight and all of them in the southwest so i should probably get around and visit a few more Few of the the lesser known ones. Well, you know the the, the southwest. I mean, that uh, that would be the most uh, attractive um, part of the parks to to, to to visit for for most international visitors because that's uh, that's really uh, um, a part of the country which is unique. There's there's a combination of uh, geology and climate there, which uh, give rise to landscapes that you you don't see anywhere else in the world. But if you go to other parts, you have you have mountains, you have deserts, uh, you have, and uh, so they are they are very beautiful. But uh, but uh, you you can see similar landscape in other parts of the world. Wonderful. Where can people find out more about you and your book, QT? Um, so I've so my website is uh, Terra Galeria. It's Terra T E R R A. G-A-L-L-E-R-I-A dot com. And uh, I'd say the, the easiest way to, to search me is just actually to, to, to Google me, maybe by my first name, you know, QT, maybe QT Photography, I would say. That will, uh, that will lead you to, to that website. And, 
and from there you, you can also see the, the website for my new book. So the book is called Treasured Lands and the website for the book is treasuredlandsbook.com. Great. And before we we started this interview, you said that you would like to give a, a discount to our listeners who want to get a signed limited copy of your book. Can you tell us uh, how to get that discount? Uh, yes. So, so if you if you go to the to the website that I just mentioned, there I there I sell the book um, directly, so only only limited and signed copy, and then you can just use a discount code. I think that's a, that's the name of the, sh the initials of the show. So um, uh, let's see. Yeah, it's just TTIM, right? Yes, yes, okay. exactly. TTIM. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, that's very generous of you. And uh, I'm probably going to avail myself of that uh, possibility right now because uh, I've got a... Uh, ebook version of it that you sent to me for for review but i'm going to to get a printed copy i just uh, cannot wait to see those images in print because i think that's the the way they are meant to be seen and and treasured for for many years exactly so so thank you very much for being our our guest today is there anything else uh, ralph that you would like to ask before we say goodbye I don't think so, but uh, this has been uh, very enlightening. Uh, thank you very much, and uh, appreciate your uh, sh shining a light, per se, on the U.S. National Parks. It uh, really has uh, struck in my interest in getting back to the parks, which it's, it's been a while since I've been, actually. So need to get back out there. Thank you, both of you, for, for hosting this show and for having me. That was a pleasure. So we will we will put links uh, in the show notes uh, to to your website and to the the books page, or any other links you want to add, uh, and our listeners will be able to find them at ttim.photo forward slash sixty seven. I think we are. This is episode number sixty seven. Uh, Ralph, where can people go and find more about you? People can go to uh, photoenrichment.com is where my website is. And I'm on all the social media networks at Ralph Velasco and at Photo Enrichment. And as for me, you can find me at ucphoto.me and you will find there also links to all my social media presences and various websites and so on. So with that, uh, uh, it's a wrap. Uh, again, thank you, QT, for being our guest today. And thanks to our uh, listeners for uh, uh, staying with us till the end and until next time all the best and take care take care everyone goodbye